Well, I'm so glad to be here tonight and welcome everyone. Jordana Horn is a writer, lawyer, journalist, mother of six, and contributing editor at Cabela.com. She's been the New York bureau chief for the Jerusalem Post, but now writes mainly on parenting and books for newspapers and television. With Shannon, she co-hosts the Cabela podcast, Call Your, Call Your Mother. Welcome, Jordana Horn. Shanna Sarna is the founding editor of The Nosher, a contributing writer to Cabeller, both part of 70 Faces Media Group. Shannon grew up surrounded by diverse culinary experiences. Her Sicilian-American mother loved to bake, her Ashkenazi Jewish father loved to experiment, and her grandfather was a food chemist who patented Tang, among other products. Her first cookbook, Modern Jewish Baker, was released in 2017, and we're selling signed copies later tonight at a discount. <laughs> Shannon lives in South Orange, New Jersey, with her husband, daughter, and rescue dogs. Please welcome Shannon Sarna. Media is the largest and most diverse Jewish media organization in North America. So, Jordana, Shannon, tell us how you conceived your show, Call Your Mother, in connection with Seven Faces Media. Uh, <clears throat> you want me to go first? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I, so, a very nice woman before said that they were told to talk directly into the microphone. I was told to direct to not, to my voice is too loud. So, if I'm hurting your ears, you're just like, um, <laughs> you can't hear me. Can you hear me now? <laughs> Good. So, 70 Faces Media, uh, the organization that I work for, is a nonprofit media company, and we're made up of actually six brands. I hope you're following all of them, and if you're not already, then you will after tonight, right? So, we're JTA News, the Nasher, obviously the best, uh, Kveller, second <laughs> um, best, <laughs> second, whatever. <laughs> we'll fight about it later. Um, Alma, which is for millennial Jewish women, it's our newest brand. Juniverse and MyJewishLearning.com, which uh, for me started it all. And um, Jordana was really the, the gung-ho voice behind uh, pushing for our podcast. Yes, I really, really wanted a podcast. Um, and because you wanted to get away from your children? That was one of the many reasons. Um, but I would say that I, I find the podcast to be a medium. Um, it's interesting to me because um, to certain people I have to explain what a podcast is. A podcast is like a radio show that comes through your phone is basically how I summarize it. And then I have a whole tutorial where I walk people through the little screen where they can subscribe. Um, and for me, it was very important to be able to connect to parents, especially because I, I'm a writer. I write um, mainly essays and reported pieces about parenting. That being said, I know that the way that our world is now, your time, especially if you're a parent, um, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, you work part-time, you work full-time, your time is very fragmented. Um, your time is really laden with um, 
obligations and uh, guilt, um, <laughs> um, pretty much 24-7, whether it's the constant ping of your phone from work or friends, or the crying of your children, hypothetically. Um, so the podcast is the ability to connect with people where they are, whether they're on a treadmill, on the train to work, um, nursing a baby at two in the morning. And so it's an opportunity to provide community and connection at, a, at times in your life where maybe you feel a little alone um, in the things that you're going through. You're, in fact, not alone. And um, so the idea of connecting with people, regardless of the time of day, and meeting them where they are was very important to me. And um, with a lot of nudging, it, uh, it worked out. All right, let's so. talk about the format of your show. Because sure. uh, it is a, it's a podcast. Uh, and I've listened to the show many times. It's a great show. Uh, the format is, pro as I see it, problem, guest, call your mother, and then you talk about gratitude. So how did you choose that format, and why? Well, we wanted to have, um, we wanted to bring in guests, um, and our guests have ranged from uh, people like, for those of you who don't know, we've talked to NPR's Opira Eisenberg, um, comedian Judy Gold, upcoming episodes, not to be too much of a spoiler, include uh, comedian Jill Cardman from Odd Mom Out. Um, Chef Inat Admoni. Yes. Um, and we're having a big Passover episode that'll come out in a few weeks right before Passover. So like if you're in your kitchen preparing the Seder or you're driving to your in-laws and it's taking forever, then hopefully we can provide a little levity. Exactly. Exactly. And so we, we came up with the format because we wanted to have a variety of voices because that, that speaks very much to this idea that there is no one way of being a parent. There's no one way of being a Jew. And so we wanted to bring a diverse um, spice of voices to the table. Um, and we wanted and, to break and, it up also. Yes. We and, and we really like to talk also, so we wanted to make sure that that was, um, that was an element. Front and center. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you do like to talk, and I had an opportunity to talk to both of you last February. <laughs> Uh, which She's was like, great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, I had to actually hide in my closet to have that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. So, yeah. I remember that. Yes, uh, the pounding the from, pounding. My, from exactly. my three-year-old. That was great. Very professional. Well, but you did get to talk, and you talked about your commitment to Jewish parenting, to Jewish parenting, uh, what that means to both of you. So I, I guess I want each one of you to answer this separately, but start with, Georgi with Jordana. Talk to us about your... The, your background, your specific background, and the influence it's had on your parenting style as a Jewish mother. Sure. Um, a lot of people in this room actually know um, parts of my family. Um, my aunt lived in Niskayuna for a long time, and so she was part of the Northeast New York community. And um, my sister um, has been here, actually, a few times. Um, so. My, I, I was very fortunate to come from a family where um, my mother has a PhD in Jewish education. Um, she is a very educated and um, dynamic person for whom um, being Jewish became more important to her as she went on in her life. She was not raised um, particularly religiously, but she came to it through her own path and her own education. My father um, grew up in a traditional home. And so for both of them, um, they really created a house um, 
full of joy in being Jewish. Um, we were raised conservative, and we went to synagogue for Shabbat, and we we were um, our jobs as high schoolers were we were the Torah readers in our in our Hebrew school um, for the junior congregation. Um, so we grew up very engaged and aware, and I feel that that really gave me a very firm foundation on which to build the lives of my own children. So you, uh, and now I want to ask Shannon, um, and I would imagine that you probably have a somewhat different perspective because you, <laughs> thank you do, well you came from a family that was a mixed marriage. Yes, yes. So. Yeah, uh, it's really funny. Um, uh, because when we were first talking about the podcast, we were, we were sort of meeting about it internally. Jordana wasn't there among our staff, and um, somebody was like, well, Shannon would be a great co-host. And then somebody else was like, you know, well, Shannon and Jordana are actually very similar. Um, and so they, like, tabled it. And then, thankfully, they came back a week later, like, we think you'd be a great co-host. And they were right, obviously. Um, but we are, I don't think our Jewish backgrounds could be more different, basically. I grew up um, in, actually in Putnam County, New York, my parents were both uh, hippie musicians, and my mom was Italian, was like a nice Italian girl from Brooklyn who went to all-girls Catholic school her whole life till she met my dad. Mm-hmm. And my dad was this like kind of Ashkenazi bad boy musician um, who, and both of them really rebelled against um, their religious upbringings, not because of spirituality or culture, but really because of the... Um, the faults that they saw in organized religion. So we were um, really raised with a universalist sense of um, being a good person and believing in God above all else with a whole lot of other mixed messages thrown in between. You know, we celebrated Christmas, Passover, and Easter, and just about everything. So um, uh, instilling a sense of Jewish pride and values in my family was obviously very much a choice that I make. Uh, and that I made, and it comes from probably a slightly different place um, for, from Jordana, but of course. Um, but we did both wind up in the same, same synagogue. Same synagogue. Yeah. 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 Let's talk, let's get back to some of the, the issues on the show. Um, you know, you talk a lot, and, and a lot about a lot of different kinds of issues that maybe some Jewish mothers are afraid to talk about, and you really get it out there. So are there, you can talk about some of those issues, but also are there any that you're afraid to talk about or that are taboo that you just won't talk about related to parenting, Jewish parenting? I think we have not. We've touched a little bit about the current political climate, but we have mostly not addressed it. I think um, partially because we have such strong views um, and partially because it does feel a little bit taboo in the Jewish divided, Jewish community may be very divided. Um, but I think mostly everything else, like if we, I mean, we've only, we're only like nine episodes in, so I think there's a lot of, um, issues that we're very eager to cover. We just haven't had the time yet. And a lot of them have come from our audience, which is amazing. You know, we have gotten a number of requests for really wanting to talk about fertility and how it impacts um, women at large and Jewish women. Um, and that's very much on our to-do list because we feel like it's so important to have those honest conversations about things that are nagging at, at other women, other parents. Yes, and I, I think that um, one, of my, one of my favorite episodes thus far has been um, our interview with Jen Simon, who um, is a Jewish mother of two and um, stay-at-home educated um, writer who became addicted to opioids. Um, and 
to me, it was very, very important, and I, I really um, wanted to make sure that that story got out because, because I do feel that there's a taboo on um, discussing, particularly, weirdly enough, Jews um, as because we're seen as kind of a model minority in a lot of ways. Um, we're generally we're educated, we're civically involved, um, blah blah blah, but. There are also problems, um, and I don't think I think we do a disservice to people to to not to be to make as though these problems do not also affect us. Um, so uh, other issues that we'd like to talk about in a sort of similar but different vein, I would say, would be abusive relationships, which are very much in existence in the Jewish community. Um, alcoholism. alcoholism is another one. Um, and so, in other words, um, trying to break open this myth of model minority, which in fact can be really uh, problematic and can prohibit, not prohibit, can um, maybe make people feel as though, oh, I can't possibly have a problem because, you know, I'm a, a Jewish educated, um, you know, relatively well off person. So that's not the kind of problem that could apply to me, but that's actually not the case. And I think that what we found in the context of our show is the more honesty, um, that the more honest you are, the more it resonates with yeah. our listeners. Um, just quickly, the, the feedback that we got on that episode was tremendous. Um, and I heard from, from a rabbi who um, I don't know very well, and he said, I, it must have been Beshert that, that you sent me this episode because you don't know this about me because we only met fairly recently. But 10 years ago, I had an accident and um, I became addicted to painkillers. And, you know, people in this community do not know. Um, it was a long time ago and I got through it, thank God. But it's real and it's out there. And so some people feel too vulnerable. And I feel very lucky that Jen came forward and shared her story with us and with so many other people. Have you had any major surprises on the show? Stuff that you didn't expect? I think we didn't, so when we were first discussing what the format would be, one of the things that we wanted to do was like quite literally call Jordana's mom. And, and we were like, okay, well, we'll kind of like see how it goes. And I don't think we expected Jordana's mom. I mean, I don't even. I've never even met her in person. I where I call her Graham now, but um, she's so funny and also at the same time like so wise in her wisdom. So I don't think we expected to be, for Graham to be such a hit, but um, but everybody loves it and it's and now it's become a mainstay. Um, and, I, and I think it will be. Uh, we tried to call my 94-year-old grandma this week, but she's like, I'm at the eye doctor. I can't talk right now. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we'll have her on another show. <laughs> So what issues do you disagree with your mother? Well, now you call her mom too, so uh, when she, you're on the show and she, you ask her a question, and are there, have you had any like real like, mm -mm, no, I don't actually, this is, we don't, we don't well, agree. I saw my mom, so I'm not going to baggage about it. Yeah. Uh, but I did actually this week. Oh, this week. <laughs> so spoiler cool. alert, you guys spoiler. got a little insight. That's right. So we noticed, I noticed that at the end of every show, every call with Jordana's mom, she would say, thanks mom, I love you, I love you. And she would never say, I love you back, that was it. And so, I, so I, I asked her, I was like, so what's up with not saying I love you to Jordana? And I, I almost felt a little bad about it. She was like, you're right, you're right. 
it's a fault. I, I will work on it. I will work on it. So, <laughs> so right. It, it's just particularly funny because I'm like, uh, I'm like, well, you know, she's actually like pretty much on her best behavior for these phone calls because generally when we're on the phone, um, I'll be talking about something and I'll move on to another topic and I'll be waiting for an answer and there's no answer because sometimes my mother decides that a conversation's over. Um, just hangs up the phone? And, uh, we don't agree that it's over, but apparently I've been talking, you know, I'll be on the phone driving for blocks, and I'm like, so what do you think? And then I wonder if I lost her, and I call her back, and she's like, I thought we were done. And I'm like, but you didn't even say goodbye. She's like, I don't do goodbye. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. She, my mom basically has been the queen of the drop the mic moments long before that became like a thing, so, yeah. Okay, so what would, besides your mother, um, <laughs> what would you say are the biggest challenges for Jewish mothers today? Well, maybe Jewish mothers as opposed to other mothers who are not Jewish, is there a difference? I mean, I think, something that I think about, um, Jordana and I live in somewhat similar communities, my, my daughter goes, my older daughter goes to a private Jewish school. The school is amazing, I love it. Um, but it, it encompasses a couple of towns where they send kids. So we live in South Orange, which is like a, a place basically where like a lot of people with similar values move to. And we're all more or less in the same socioeconomic bracket. But there's a number of like much fancier towns around. And so my daughter, not to name any of them, <clears throat> um, but no, really, it's really more. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of towns where the families just like are more affluent, and so when it comes time for celebrations or clothes, birthday parties, there is a different expression of wealth, and I see that coming into play a lot around bar bat mitzvah time. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely worried about it. Not because I, I, we're not clear about what we want to instill in our children, but how to navigate the conversations that I, I know are sort of on the horizon about balancing um, values and celebration and how we spend our money and tzedakah. So um, I think that that comes up in a lot of Jewish communities because we, we do tend to be a little bit more affluent. Um, and um, how people spend their money is obviously like varies widely. So I don't know. That, it, it might not be a uniquely Jewish problem, but I feel like it, it does come into play in synagogue communities. Right. I, I, mean, I, I feel like the Jewish problem is um, you want people to have a, a self-conception of Judaism um, not defined by anti-Semitism. Um, I, I do not, in other words, you don't want Jewish solidarity to result just because someone sees a swastika on a wall or, you know, there's a, a hateful act. Um, you want their, to me, that's my, my biggest job as a Jewish, that could be you. Um, to me, that's my, my it could be. Um, it could, in other words, that, to me, that's my biggest job as a Jewish parent is I want my kids to have a proactive, joyful, um, intrinsic, and meaningful sense of being Jewish. Um, not one that's just triggered by hatred from the outside. Um, rather, a self-conception that begins within. You, know, you, you talk about Thank you. Uh, And I think that leads us into one of the things that we had talked about. You know, you talk about joy in Judaism. Um, 
And you, you, you said, I, I forgot which one of you had said this, but relevancy inspires kids to want to mm -hmm. practice yeah. Judaism. So let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, what, I, sometimes we just say things. I'm not sure what we mean by them. Um, <laughs> anything, anything I don't remember, I'm like, I have pregnancy brain. Um, <laughs> um, relevancy in Judaism. I, I mean, I think that the joy in Judaism is so important. I think when we don't make it about a sense of guilt or a sense of obligation, but finding the ways that are meaningful for kids to connect, and that, I think that looks like different things. For our own family, um, Friday night dinner is something that's really important. Uh, my husband, if, if he's home at 8 o'clock, it's like a miracle. And if he's home before that, it's because I've threatened his life. So there aren't many nights where we have dinner together as a family. And so Friday night is that time where the TV's not on, our phones are away, or at least most everyone's phones are away, and we can spend time together and connect and just have a, a shared meal, right? Like, for some people, that's a, a, like an inherently religious thing, but really, I, I mean, it's just about connection, and I think that that's a way that we make it relevant, and that looks different for every family. For some family, yes. maybe social justice projects that might be going to synagogue Saturday morning. Right. I think it also varies dramatically with age. I mean, I'm, I'm dealing with the, what feels like the whole gamut of human experience here with a three-and-a-half-year-old who refuses to poop on the potty in one end and, you know, a 15-year-old high school freshman on the other. So it, it's a wide range. So you're, you're doing things for different audiences. And for me, what resonates with one group and one age, um, it's not, it's not uniform. Um, and I try to, I try to make sure that things appeal to each different age group. So our Friday night, um, will light the candles. We, every Friday, um, we make challah. Um, those of you who follow me on Facebook, we do, we actually, this will be the first, this, it's sort of sad, but because I'm here, so this will be the first Friday this Jewish year that we won't have the live video of um, my girls and I making challah dough on Friday morning. Um, but to me, I find that especially with my younger kids, um, they the sensory and kinetic mm -hmm. is really the way to connect with them. They're not oddly so interested in abstract thought and uh, <laughs> and, and ideas. They're they're more interested in like feeling the dough in their hands and knowing that that's the rhythm of what starts Shabbat. They're interested in, we light the candles and, you know, we're not, um, we observe Shabbat, but we're not Shomer Shabbat. And so we'll turn on um, Craig Taubman's Friday Night Live and we have a crazy dance party, you know, where they're all rocking out to Romamu. Um, and then my older ones, they will be more connected with other things. My my son who um, my son who loves uh, theater. He you know we we saw Fedor on the roof. I mean, in other words, there are different ways you have to meet people where they are, and I think that's definitely true of um, of parenting children, and definitely true of of Judaism. And there's so many opportunities in all of our billions of holidays, especially this, uh, there's this big one coming up, you might have heard about it. Um, and that's a real opportunity to meet people where they are and really resonate with them. So I think um, it, sometimes it takes being a little more creative um, than, than maybe than maybe I'd like to be, because uh, it's well, a Well, that's your fault. Thing. You had six kids. 
Yeah. It's true. It's true. I should have thought that through. So. <laughs> Parenting, let's talk about parenting and the style of parenting. Mm -hmm. We started kind of talking about that at the table when we were eating beforehand. Okay, parenting styles. And we know the helicopter parents, but now what's coming back into style is snowplow parenting. Let's talk about snowplow parenting versus helicopter parents parenting. And um, what's the difference? And how do you, as Jewish mothers, fit into this parenting style? Either one of them or do you? I mean, I, I mean, the, okay, so helicopter parents, everybody know these terms? No, not Okay, so helicopter parents are the parents that hover right above, waiting to swoop down before any problem appears. The snowplow parents, wow, someone is so popular. Are you trying, are they trying to get into the event tonight? Um, they can come. Uh, snowplow parents are the ones who are literally plowing the path in front of their children to ensure that there's no obstacles in their way. Um, I know, right? So I would say I'm certainly neither one of them. And as Ava and I were talking about, and Dahlia Lithwick commented on our show, I'm like the parent of benign neglect. Other than like, I'm always like, what did you, what did you eat today? What did you eat? Did you eat it? Did you eat it? Okay, what do you want for dinner? What do you want for dinner? What do you want for dinner? Because it's like I'm just like obsessed with what my kids eat, which is t terrible, basically. But, um, I, I, you know, I'm like very much like, Okay, you're six years old. Go up, go up, and ask for a takeout box. You're fine. You you know, people, kids have to, they have to, they have to learn how to do stuff. Um, otherwise, I mean, what, what am I going to be? They're going to be 25 years old, calling me to like, how do I butter my noodles? And calling your mother. Yeah, come call. Yeah, yeah, and like, come wipe my my tush. Still, like, no, I, I want my kids to like do it for themselves and. That with the knowledge that like they're probably going to make mistakes. They're probably going to make a lot of decisions that I don't like. Um, but didn't didn't we do that? Isn't that how we get to be who we are? And it's hard. It's harder. Um, but um, I want to have a life again one day where my kids are not right. Like I like like in like twenty <laughs> wishful thinking. I want to have a life again one day. I want my kids to be able to take care of themselves. Yeah, maybe even take care of you. Um, yeah, wipe wipe my tush, please. Yeah, Thank right, you. exactly. Um, yeah, I th I think that so I so this is. Uh, this is an, it's a debate that sort of comes up and down. Um, you know, so now it recently came out with this whole college admissions uh, scandal. Um, it resurfaced, but I'm proud to say that I, in fact, was talking about this um, on the Today Show uh, along, like, 2012. See, you're so fancy. So fancy. That was, yes, that was my big moment um, on the couch. Matt Bauer didn't try anything. <laughs> I was newly pregnant, actually, and I had not told anybody, and my main concern was not throwing up so that it wouldn't be a viral moment that my children would never uh, live down of me throwing up on live television. So, um, but the discussion then, it was, it was ridiculous because I had written a piece about how my son um, at the time was in elementary school, and he kept on, he was playing viola, I don't know why he chose the viola. He not, not the violin. Either. He was not very good, um, full disclosure. And so he, perhaps knowing subconsciously that he was not very good, he um, often left the viola at home. And then I get a call, hello, it's the school. You know, uh, your son has a orchestra today. Didn't bring the viola. So, so, I, so I said, you know, um, this happened a couple times. And finally, I sat down and I said, "Look, you know, this this has got to stop. Like, I didn't sign up to play the viola. 
you signed up to play the viola. You're going to sign a contract right now. Um, I'm not bringing this viola to school anymore. Nobody's bringing a viola. You forget it. You get points off. I really don't care. You know, like, let's be honest. You weren't going to Juilliard for the, for the viola. <laughs> so, um, so I did that, and people, you know, so, and I, I wrote a piece about it. It was like nothing. And then this piece, like, went viral, and people were like, oh, let's, you know, and when I got the call, like, come on the Today Show, I'm like, let me get this straight. So I'm getting on the Today Show because I didn't bring my kids viola to school. Does that seem dumb to anybody? And it, so, but, but this whole idea of, this whole idea of, um, you know, they coined it at the time, no rescue parenting. Um, and to me, there's a very, there's a line, I think, that needs to be marked. Um, because the idea of the helicopter parent is the parent who, like, rescues no matter what, right? Like, like I'm ready to pounce. Um, but I sometimes think that your kids have to have to fail. Sometimes they have to fail, and there are times when your kid, when it is the compassionate thing to do to help your child. I mean, you are their parent. Like it, it is a nice thing to help your child. You need to, however, as a parent, be able to draw the line between when, like, you have this recidivist behavior, you know, <laughs> that is um, not going to go away if you keep on helping it happen. Um, in other words, when, when you, you look at your own behavior as a parent and you see that the result that you are achieving is not the result that you want, like what is the targeted result? The targeted result is this kid remembering his own responsibilities without me having to remind him. So if it's not accomplishing that goal, then, then don't do it. Um, and I think that, and I think we were talking about before how like, I think that helicopter parenting and all these kinds of um, phenomenon, and even these parents, these uh, these parents were like bribing their children's way into. So I don't really see how that ends up in a good place because, like, then the kid can't do the work. But um, I think that it's coming from a place of mis a, mi a misguided place of love. Um, I just think it's manifesting itself in a way that doesn't do any service to the parent or the kid. So, but in other words, all these things, like we, we make fun of them, but they're coming from, I think that they're coming from a good and, and kind place. Well, in the context of all of that, uh, let's talk about work-life balance. I don't, that's well, easy. Well, there, right. there, there, there is no But I have, I mean, I'm gonna reiterate, you have eight kids between you, six and two. Um, and I think on one of your shows, uh, uh, Shannon said that you have six kids are enough for a volleyball team. Yeah, that is. yeah, I learned today when we were driving up that it's enough for a swim group. She can like have her own swim group at this swim school nearby. Exactly, so. it's not it's not individual lessons. Okay. We're a class. So how does <laughs> so how does work life balance fit into this? How do you do it? I mean, I mean, my answer always is, look, I have a full-time job, I have two kids, I wrote a book, I, I speak and I teach at least once a week usually, and I just say basically, like, I'm insane, um, I don't sleep a lot, and um, and I outsource a lot, right? I have a full-time au pair, I have an old, somebody who lives in my house and helps take care of my kids because I don't know who would just even, like, drive places, right? So it's just, like, help and uh, somebody who helps clean my house and do my laundry and, like, a, just a... Um, a ton of like planning, organizing, and scheduling. 
um, including like basically scheduling like when I can have quality time with my my kids. Um, and I feel overwhelmed most most of the time. And I don't think that's unique to somebody like me who is has a lot on her plate, probably a little bit more than the average working mom. Um, I think it we I think this generation of moms feels largely overwhelmed by how much is being asked of us. You know, there was a recent study, it came out probably like a month month or so ago, talking about how much more time uh, the average parent today is spending parenting their children um, and how much more money we're spending on those parenting things, right? Whether it's t- tutors and, and um, therapies, birthday parties, activities, there's just um, volunteer time at school, there's so much more that's required of us and we have such high standards for ourselves. So we were like, yay, you know, like let's all work, but like the workload at home hasn't decreased. Um, you know, that it that that is changing a little bit, having a supportive partner helps with that, but um, there's so much more that's demanded of our time. And so I, I, I really genuinely don't think there's anything, there's no work-life balance, um, other than to say, like, you can't do everything all at once, you know? Something always has to take a back seat. Well, when you say high standards, you at this generation, the Gen X, the millennials, yeah. have higher expectations for themselves, say, than the baby boomers. I, th- I think so. In terms of the time we're, we're spending parenting our children, you know, being present with activities and plays. Well, I think also the omnipresence of work. Um, I yeah, think yeah, that, I mean, that's changed just in the time that I've been in the workforce, this expectance that you're, this expectation that you're going to be available all the time, yeah. that, you know, you have a phone, um, it doesn't go off, and just because you leave the office, you don't, in other words, you're supposed to see being able to leave the office as a blessing, um, but in fact, it just creates another set of, of concerns and problems. Um, Most of the parents I know who work, We'll work until, like, let's say 4 or 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock maybe, go home, spend a few hours with their kids, put them to bed, and go back online at 9 o'clock when they go back to bed, you know, so there isn't that sense of, like, really getting... And I I think also I was, um, you know, another uh, potential memoir title, I was misinformed. Um, I, I, I think that... You know, when I, like, I worked so hard in high school um, and without any bribery from my parents, I think. Um, You know, I got into college and into graduate school and law school and this whole thing. I'm I'm going to, I saw things as being um, tremendously possible. And I thought, well, I will definitely be able to, six kids was not on on my agenda. My agenda was, you know, much more like, world domination, peace in the Middle East, you know, stuff like that that seemed to me to be, like, really possible. Um, I didn't really understand why why that hadn't been accomplished yet, but okay, like, uh, I'll get there and I'll do it. Um, but but then seeing how, just how, just how hard um, it was to be, um, I mean, certainly once I, I don't even know what number of kids it was, like, once I passed a certain number of kids, I'm like, well, this is, this is just crazy. I mean, this is, and, and I do, I am fortunate enough to have, we have someone who lives in with us um, during the week, and she is, um, she's like the, the adult presence in the house. She does not drive, um, and I do, and I'm really hoping that self-driving car um, comes out super soon. I volunteer for the beta testing. Um, you know, I volunteer as tribute um, because, it's um, it's really 
crazy, and it, it starts to look a lot like air traffic control, and that's before you even factor in like other people's demands who are not related to you, like your, like your job. Um, so it, it's just a lot, and I feel that I, I don't feel that we talk to either women or men um, about like really envisioning what it will look like in in a partnership because in, in part you're talking about something completely hypothetical that you know you might as well talk about like well what if you turned into a bird you know I mean like it you know it, like it seems to have no relevance to your life when you're when you're in college like this idea that you know well maybe you will not be able to take the promotion of the job because maybe you won't have the geographic flexibility because maybe you'll be taken care of an ailing relative, or maybe you will have, you know, maybe you will have a child who will have specific concerns that need to be addressed in a specific place. But I do think we can better prepare our children, whether male or female, for this idea that you need to be responsible as well for what happens in your house. So how do the Jewish fathers fit into this? As Jewish fathers who millennials, Gen X fathers, I mean, I think, I don't want to speak on behalf of Jordana's husband, who is super lovely, but I, I think that we're both very lucky that we have generally very supportive partners. Well, it took two tries for me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Jordana's divorced. Yes. In case that wasn't yes. <laughs> she, she didn't kill the first one yet. Um, also a member of our synagogue, interestingly enough, and I do give him dagger eyes when I see him. Um, just joking. Um, I, I think like it's it's hard. It's hard. I, I, my husband Jonathan tries very hard, and there's a lot of things just aren't as organic for him. And so it's like a little. It's a training in a loving kind of sense. Right. But we talk about all the time. We talk about how um, you know schools need to be taught. Like no, you you don't have to just yes. call the mother. Yes. Like you can call the father. Right. That's okay. And I've gotten pushback on that. Where I was right. like, um, my husband's not on this email chain, and we both help manage our kids' schedule. So could you please put my husband on this as well? And and actually, she kind of like got a little attitude with me, and I was like, look, lady, like I'm sorry, but like I can't manage this shit show all by myself, you know? Um, sorry. <laughs> no, no, but also, but but really, I mean, all and all, as as you know, if you have children, like there are all these obligations that we were just talking about before, where you know your your presence in school is. Um, Maybe lunch duty. Um, why I, I'm, you know, th this child does is fortunate enough to have two parents. Why am I the only one getting the email about lunch duty? Actually, we both work for ourselves. We both have, you know, a comparatively flexible work schedule. He too is capable of um, of delivering pizzas to classrooms. So you know, it's one of his many talents. Many. Yeah. I'm sure he has others, but yes. Um, Impregnatious. Yeah. <laughs> we have six kids. So. Um, I'm, I'm glad we, were, we both had the same thought. <laughs> okay, well, I listened to one of your shows, and I've listened to more than one, but on this particular show, Emily Gould mm -hmm. is an interesting character, an interesting writer, a controversial writer, one of your guests, talked about social media, which I think is something we need to talk about, or we should talk about, and its impact on parenting, because I think that's important. And she said, and you guys agreed, social media is here to stay. And as Jewish mothers, I keep saying the Jewish mothers thing, uh, what do you see as the impact on your children and on your whole family, and on your families? Mm. 
So you have older kids, so it's a little different. Right. So it's very different from, um, you know, it, it is here to stay. Um, I've seen. I don't, I don't know where to begin. I mean, the younger, like the younger kids, um, some of this one-upmanship with, you know, oh, look at Rebecca's third birthday party with her, you know, ridiculous, um, you know, several hundred dollar cake or whatever, you know, and you're like, like it's a little much. But, but more seriously, with my teenagers, um, it's brought some real things to the fore pretty quickly. Like one night, you know, it's the end of the day, I'm sitting on my couch, um, you know, in that, you know, that, that zone where you're, you're, you're so close to like having the, the drool running down your cheek of being asleep. Um, and my son comes over to me and he says, mom, my friend from camp um, just posted on Snapchat, um, would anyone notice if I kill myself? Um, I, so, you know, like, whoa, like, um, you know, that was really like a parenting defibrillator, like, where you're oh my God, I didn't know this family, um, I didn't know the kid, um, it was not someone with whom he was good friends, but you better believe that, you know, I went running into the camp directory and couldn't find the parents' phone number and then went, on Facebook and found who our mutual friends were and saw who was online and said, I need this parent's phone number immediately, please. Don't ask me why, they gave me the phone number. I called, they said, thank you, we're, we're gonna go upstairs from right now, the kid is fine. But the whole idea of what, the whole idea of, you know, A, social media as a vehicle, um, you know, is, a cry, is, it a, is it a real cry for help? Yes, um, whether or not, you know, that my son was very, he's like, oh, he's gonna think I'm like such a loser. What if he just like put it out there? I'm like, if someone puts it out there that they're hurting, the, the, the punchline of whether or not they were really going to attempt anything is not what's important. What's important is that he was casting out a line for help and, and you caught it. And so that was an opportunity to have a teachable moment. Um, but he's like, it's, it's also really scary because we were the only ones who called. Um, and, you know, and he's like, my, my friends saw it, but they didn't, they didn't know what to do. So I think that that's a situation where, like, you can argue that that's a negative um, because people can use it as a way of seeking attention and, um, you know, it becomes this house of mirrors. But it's also a way to get help, and I know, I know Shannon feels very strongly about social media forging community. So. <laughs> well, I, it, that's true. I think I think the question is the impact on our our kids. Um, you know, my both my kids don't use social media yet. Thank goodness. Other than say, like, are you going to put this on Facebook? Because um, um, I know I take lots of cute photos of them. But I, I I do think that social media can do lots of bad things, like hijack a government. But also it can um, it can really provide community um, in lots of different ways. For me professionally, basically for the last twelve years, I have found friends and colleagues and people I work with and people I adore exclusively through on through relationships that started online and and became um, relationships in real life. Um, it's uh, storytelling through digital media has always been an interest of mine, and I think that it's a really powerful tool for connection. I mean, a podcast being 
um, a classic example of this. And I've been talking a little bit, you know, my mom, my mom passed away when I was a teenager. There was no Facebook at the time. There's a lot of groups for grief, all kinds of grief. And I, I always wonder, as I see friends of mine now post about when a parent has passed or a loved one has passed, and being part of a couple of grief groups, um, unfortunately, like, I'm already crazy, so the damage is done. But um, how good that would have done for me as a 16-year-old who was grappling with the loss of a parent and feeling very isolated, um, I think it would have greatly helped with the depression um, and loneliness that I felt in the years after my mom's death. So while it, while it, it, it can, it, look, it can be scary. I've gotten a couple of like not so nice messages recently about an article that I wrote, and that feels threatening, right? Like, um, and I worry about my kids sometimes, which is why I never use their names um, in anything public. Like, if I write about them online, I don't use their names. I try not to mention where they go to school. But somebody could find that out, right? Like, I, like they know I live in South Orange and I belong to a big synagogue and I talk about my rabbi all the time. So if they wanted to put the pieces together, they could. So that feels scary, but I, I still want to believe in the good that social media can provide because it has, for me in my life, done so much. And I see it, look, it could save somebody's life. It could right. be a point of connection to uplift somebody. And I mean, Jordana and I, became friends on Facebook before we ever met in real life. That's true. And, and But I think that with kids, I think that it's very important, especially as kids grow older and, be, and develop their own presence on social media, or at least their awareness of other people's presence on social media, to have the constant discussion, um, at least at the beginning, of how it's not really real. You know, it's, it's basically like your PR kind of version of yourself for the most part, for these teenagers. Um, I, I am not really looking forward to the whole body positivity discussions um, when I see my son's friends, um, you know, posting pictures of themselves in bikinis and bathing suits, and they're, you know, they're like 13, 14, 15, um, and it's, you know, when you're, you're, you post that and then you're getting a certain number of likes and you're valuing yourself based on like. I mean, there are so many discussions to be had. Um, but yeah, I do think that if it's not this manifestation of it, um, I mean, now no one talks about Friendster or MySpace, you know, so it might not be, right, it might not be Instagram or Facebook. It might be something, you know, much weirder that we haven't thought of yet. But, um, but this idea of putting a version of yourself out into the world, um, I think, will continue to exist. And so you have to prepare your children for how to deal with that. Yeah, it's evolving. But I guess, yeah, how do you how do you actually prepare them? You've got kids from what three to sixteen or three to fifteen. Yeah. So is this a well, I, discussion? Well, I, I learned. I think I, I would actually err on the side of um, not allowing. Uh, in other words, as long as I can prohibit it from happening, uh, I will. Well, like my lesson that I want to learn. from my, your your own kids being honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my older my older kids. I gave them um, I gave them phones um, when they were finishing sixth and seventh grade, um, and the difference in the mentality. I mean, they're different kids. I understand that, but the difference in the mentality just that that one year made was tremendous, and so I'm, I'm hoping to hold off as long as possible with my younger ones, um, 
I, I tell my older children all the time, I'm like, you're the test cases. So we'll see what works with you and what doesn't. And then we'll, you know, apply those results. Just think of how amazing that last kid is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be great. Well, I'm, I'm getting a high sign.